Good morning. We are, it's good to see you all this morning. I think the rapture took place. Uh, we're running a little thin this morning. So you, you, I'll assume you're the sheep and not the goats. So that's, that's good. Uh, so good to have you guys here this morning. I, I suspect uh, being, it's, you know, uh, as, as Tom said, uh, today is Valentine's Day. So happy Valentine's Day. Yes. I, I thought you might enjoy this. They pulled some kids some children and asked how they define love. I thought you'd like this. Have you heard these before? Uh, forgive me if I'm reading stuff you already know, but here it goes. It says, love, this is uh, Dennis at age five, said, love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on aftershave and they go out together and smell each other. <laughs> That's awful. Yeah. <clears throat> George at age seven says, love is when you tell a boy you like his shirt and he wears it every day. Yeah. Amy, at age eight, says, love is when you kiss all the time. Then after that, when you're tired of kissing, you do it more. <laughs> and she says, and then she said, and that's gross. Uh, and then this is my favorite. This is Andrea at age seven. She says, love is when you tell someone she looks pretty, even if she looks like a truck. <laughs> well, anyway, with that, we can move right into the text. If you would, turn to Exodus chapter 33. It is so good to have you guys here this morning, uh, the faithful remnant, and I do appreciate you carving time out of your schedule. Uh, I don't know about you, but I, it's, uh, it's just great to be with a group of men around the word, the fellowship. There's plenty of snacks, there's plenty of coffee, so feel free anytime to jump up and grab some more. That's great. And uh, uh, we have one visitor in the group. He's been here before just once, and that's Michael Venter. Uh, Michael is a former student of mine, so he can tell you stories, uh, I can assure you. Uh, and yeah, no nodding of the head. And, and Michael is serving with ABWE. Uh, he is from Brazil, and his church planning, they're going back to Brazil. Uh, he's also one incredible basketball player, so he was a star at uh, the former school where I taught, so he is just a, he's a delight, good man. So, Michael, good to have you here. Um, I don't think you were in the Greek class, I was teaching Greek, and my back was killing me. It was a, one of those strange tables where it just didn't, and then they had a podium on top of it, you know what I'm talking about. So I swung the table chair around, and I would lean on that to teach. We, you know what happened. Uh, in the middle of the class, kaboom, I fell, to the, I fell to the ground. That wasn't your class, was it? No. Oh, that was embarrassing, let me tell you. So <clears throat> I got up, and I said, well, we're all falling, so let's just go on, shall we? <laughs> So it keeps you humble, there's no doubt about that. So that's why I don't lean against a chair anymore when I teach. <laughs> well, let me paint the scene for you. Exodus 32, if you remember, Moses is up on the, on the Mount of Sinai and he comes down and we found, we looked at this text last week in chapter 32, the Jews have built a golden calf, right? And that whole ordeal uh, through the blessing and, and uh, work of Aaron nonetheless, and that's horrific. And a series of events occurs, and uh, unfortunately, we just don't have the luxury to look at each of those episodes, but in 33, uh, God says, well, in fact, let's just look at this text. It's Exodus 33.3, I want you to see this. Obviously, the Lord is not pleased, and He says to the Israelites, go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, just as I promised you, right? But I will not go with you. Whew. Boom. 
And then he says what he said earlier. He says, you're a stiff-necked people. We talked about that. And I, if I go with you, I'll end up destroying you. <laughs> I am so fed up with you. If I, if I end up taking you or I go with you, it would not be a pretty sight. So you can go on your own. And you can imagine what that means. If it hadn't been for the Lord going with them, they wouldn't have had water. They wouldn't have had food. They wouldn't have beat the Amalekites, and they wouldn't have crossed the Red Sea. Right? So he said, I'm done. And Moses, of course, you know, I could have been the second Abraham. I'm not going to do that. Let me go with you. I'll, I'll you know, Lord, you've you got to rethink this. And so Moses once again serves as the intercessor. Uh, he intercedes on behalf of the Israelites. And the text ends in 317 with the Lord saying to Moses, look at this, 3317. Uh, in fact, most of 33, it's Moses speaking. Uh, for a man who's not very eloquent, so he says he's not, uh, he's quite eloquent in 33. In verse 17, he says, the Lord says, I will do this thing that you have spoken. In other words, fine, I will relent and I will, I will go with you. And this is where our text begins. And in verse 18 is where I want to look at today. It says, then Moses said, show me your glory, which is so, it seems really quite bizarre. It, it doesn't flow. What's he talking about? Show me your glory. We, you know, we just had the Lord say he's going to go ahead and he relents and says, fine, we'll, we'll do this. And he, and he said, I will make all my goodness. This is what the Lord says to Moses. Pass before your face and I will proclaim the Lord by name before you. That's literally, I am who I am. Exodus 3, right? You saw me before. Let me do it again. There's something vastly different with this whole scene. I want you to see this. This is, this is a great text. Uh, the Lord, by name before you, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. And he said, you cannot see my face, for no one can see me and live. And the Lord said, here is a place by me. You will station yourself in a rock, and when the glory passes, then I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand. Literally, it's the palm. The palm was seen as the place of tenderness. Isaiah says, I have you in the palm of my hand. I protect you, Yahweh says, while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand. And pass by the way is the same term used of the angel of death when it passed over Egypt and killed the firstborn, and I will take away from my hand, and you will see my back, and my face must not be seen the second time couched in that. And the Lord said to Moses, uh, we're going to see here, he says, cut two tablets, and we'll get to that in a minute. In fact, let's hold off it for a second. I want to go back to this, and, and, and first, what is it that Moses is requesting? Because as I said, it, it doesn't seem to fit with the context, Right? You had this whole dialogue. Moses has done intercession. He's successful. And then it's, it's what in the world? There's a couple of request, uh, interpretations of this request. The first of these is, is a special revelatory experience. In other words, what Moses is asking for, that he might just have this great phenomena, that he might see the Lord, his glory, boom. Uh, and as you see in your notes, I have two problems with that. One, it doesn't fit with the context as we've been talking about. I mean, the context is what? Moses' concerned that the Lord's going to abandon the Israelites. So all of a sudden he wants to see the glory. And then secondly, as you see in your notes, Moses knows. It's already been stated in Exodus chapter 3. No one can see the Lord's face. Now you could argue, well, he forgot that and the, the, you know, the, 
excitement of the moment. But he knows that. No one could see the face of the Lord. And so the second interpretation, I think, is right. And it could be a bit of a combination of both. But I think what Moses is looking for, and Garrett brings this out in his commentary, and I believe he's spot on, and that is that Moses is really wanting confirmation from the Lord that the Lord has truly not abandoned them. Let me see you. <laughs> I, I need to make sure you're still there, right? Um, I want to hear your voice. I want to see your face. This fits with the previous, as this is in your notes, manifestations of God's glory during time of crisis. It's very interesting. Previously in Exodus, when a great event comes, God's glory is seen. And I think Moses is reflecting on that. And uh, one commentator states, if God would again let Moses see his glory, he would know that all was well. And I think that's right. I think what Moses is asking for is, Lord, I need some confirmation that you've not abandoned us. The request he made in, in earlier in chapter 33, he's going to make it again in 34. Don't leave us. So it's... it's <laughs> Yeah, you know, remember, I, Moses doesn't respond when they come down from the mountain, they see the golden calf. And I think he's still in shock that Israel would do this. And uh, how could you do this? And then, worse yet, is God saying, all right, stand out of the way, Moses. We're going to deal with the Israelites. Questions on that? Yeah, Dick. Well, there's either one is going to, there has to be a special relationship. Yeah, well, yeah, and I think you could argue that the other way. Now, the change of the mind is, remember, we use that loosely because I talked about that last week. And if you weren't here, uh, whether or not God truly repented, and as we understand it, what does that mean? But um, <clears throat> no, there, there's a level. And in fact, the level of intimacy is going to increase here in a minute. Because what's going to happen is something very unique. First, uh, we see it in God's response. So let me, let's look at this because I think this is going to give us insight here. Um, it's very intriguing to me how God identifies. Moses asked to see God's glory. What does the Lord say to Moses? What's he tell him? I mean, the, the typical understanding here is that God says, all right, I'll let you see part of my glory. You're going to get my backside, and I've heard crazy interpretations of that. It's simply saying you're going to see the after effect, the, the side effects of my glory coming through. All right, it's not seeing his hiney. <laughs> all right, that's, that's not what's going on here, so don't, don't think in those contexts. All right, uh, you, you, uh, you can't stare God straight on as a sinful creature. Uh, you, you cannot look, and, and I mentioned that in your notes as well, <clears throat> The idea that uh, you would look at God in all His glory, it's not going to happen. 
Yes, Bruce. No, I don't think so. This is a very, this is a loaded term. I want to see your awesomeness. I want to see your heaviness. Everything is awesome. Yeah, that's kind of the idea, right? I, I want to see your kabod. I want to see your, your, your awesome heaviness, really, is what it is. <laughs> I want to see all the weight. In your notes, um, well, let's don't look at the notes yet. I want, I'm still asking the question. What, what does the Lord... How does the Lord respond to, to Moses? And how does he not respond? Again, remember, we want to be a, bi- a good Bible student. You need to ask what is not there as well as what is there. What do you see? David, he doesn't talk about his glory. He talks about his goodness. <clears throat> good. All right. He says, number one, I will make my goodness, not my glory. <clears throat> Goodness is part of his attributes, right? What other attributes does he say he's going to reveal or show or talks about in the, the midst of his response to Moses? My goodness, what else? Graciousness and mercy. He's giving all his attributes. You want to see my glory? Fine. Here is who I am. It, it, it's all incorporated you know, when um, the seraphim in Isaiah 6 are around the throne, what do they cry? Glory, glory, glory? No, holy, holy. It, it's all intertwined. In, in fact, Garrett, this is, um, you know, Riken mentions, what. after all, what is the glory of God? This is there in your notes there at the bottom. It is the weightiness of His being, the totality of His perfections. God said, fine, Moses, I'm going to give you a glimpse of who I am. Right? That's what you're going to get to see. And of all the things to talk about, he doesn't talk about his power. God doesn't talk about, you know, I'm a miracle worker. He says, no, I am one of, um, and the word for goodness there is, is really the numerous and various benefits that come from, no, from who he is, as long as grace and mercy. And in your notes, I mentioned down at the bottom of page one, grace is that unmerited favor. You know that. You've heard that. So if you want a two-word definition, there it is. Mercy indicates compassion. It's often used of a baby in the womb and the the care that's given to that baby. Psalm 101, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And so the Lord's response is, I'm going to show you my goodness, my grace, and mercy. What else does he say? There's one other thing in his response. Don't miss it. Yeah, I'll proclaim my name. Name is so significant in Scripture, especially in the Semitic world, in the ancient world. A name was loaded. Call you Isaac. I'm going to now call you not Abe, but Abraham. Right? Abram to Abraham. Right? All of this is significant, and the Lord's name is very significant. In fact, we're going to see this again, but he says, it's my name that goes before you. I am. Yes, Doc. When the Lord says, I will be gracious, it's not the Lord's name. It's called Yeah, <clears throat> that is a great comment, and that is the third point here. And what he's reiterating is his commitment to Israel. 
that I have selected you. This is at the top of page two. God's action of being compassionate uh, and not on the process of choosing to whom he will show compassion. In other words, God is reiterating his commitment to Israel regardless of their failures. There's nothing you bring to the table. And, And in light of just chapter 32, you better believe there's nothing they've brought to the table. Right? I don't know about you, but if I was the Lord, that calf would have fallen on top of them and killed them. In fact, I'd have turned it and made it in one big calf, a real live one, and gore him to death. Oh, that's horrible. I don't know. Don't, don't mess with me. No, I don't know. Uh, <clears throat> good thing I'm not the Lord. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, I'd have been done. In fact, I'd have been done with them at, uh, <laughs> probably when they started grumbling about the food and the water. <clears throat> but God continues to be slow and angry and compassionate and on them because he says, I've chosen you and you brought nothing to the table and I am committed to you. Again, this fits with the interpretation that what Moses is requesting is, Lord, show me your glory, show me your presence so that I can, I just want to confirm what you've just told me that you're not going to abandon us. I miss that. and I want that. Or I want it at a deeper level. I shouldn't say I miss it. I want it at a deeper level. I want this confirmation. And the Lord says, listen, I, I'm not who I have compassion on. That's why I don't think the repentance that, that it looks like he changed his mind. This was all along his plan in a sense of, of bringing Moses up through the ranks and having him respond. <clears throat> in your notes at the top of page two, the issue with seeing God's face is not based on God's inability. God could have easily said, here, Moses, here's all my glory. But it's man's inability to, to comprehend and to take it all in. Remember Isaiah 6? What's Isaiah say when he saw the Lord's holiness and His glory? Woe is me. And, and woe in the prophetic literature is condemnation. Just, and, and what does Peter say when he sees the, Jesus for who He really is? Depart from me, for I, you know, I, I'm done, done. And Manoah, Samson's father, said when he's we are doomed to die we have seen god so this prevails through the scriptures <clears throat> god's willingness to display his his glory kaiser talks about this being that it's the backside uh, it's the side effects of that glory questions on this so I believe, and Dick, this is why I, I think those who argue that it's more the latter part, yes, there's an intimacy involved. But what Moses is asking is, Lord, confirm what we've been talking about. You know, are you with us? And more particularly, are you with me? Because you've, you've told me they're your people. Or I, I remember God saying to Moses, they're your people, deal with them. So I, I'm going to need some help here along the way. Well, look at 34.1, because I want to look at the next 10 verses, because this ties in with what we're going to see here. And the Lord said to Moses, cut out two tablets of stone like the first. Sound familiar? There's a little bit of a difference, isn't there? What's the difference? Moses got to do it now. I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you smashed. There was nothing wrong with the covenant. It doesn't need to be revamped, (laughs) revised. Or edited from version one. Now, I don't know about you, but after what the Israelites did, I probably would have revised it. But God knows, right? And this is how it is. <laughs> and he prepared in the morning and, and go up in the morning to Mount Sinai. Uh, it's not because God is a morning person. 
I think what the issue is, Moses needs time to prepare his own heart. We can do this right now, but you take the evening. I'll see you in the morning. Uh, plus, uh, you just seen the a portion of the glory of the Lord and his attributes. So I'm sure he's still going humana, humana. Right? And from me on the top of the mountain, and no man is to come up with you, nor let any man be seen throughout the mountain. It's one thing that Moses has this intimate relationship with God, but no one else is permitted to do so, not even the animals. Um, <clears throat> and so Moses cut out two tablets of stone like the first, and early in the morning, he wastes no time. <laughs> he went up to Mount Sinai just as the Lord commanded him and took in his hand two tablets. There is no mistakes. <laughs> We're going to do this right down the letter of the law. And the Lord descended on the cloud. The Lord still has to stoop even the top of a mountain. And stood with him there, and he made proclamation of the Lord by name. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed. I think this is the Lord speaking, not Moses, as most scholars do. There are some English translations that have Moses speaking here. I think it's the Lord. <clears throat> the Lord, the Lord. He is not stuttering. Literally, Yahweh, he is Yahweh. Or, I am who I am. Uh, it's loaded. All right, boom. And it says, The compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in loyal love and faithfulness. Isn't this great? <laughs> this text is so loaded that Childs in his commentary on Exodus said it's, in, uh, he said it's the most gracious text in all of the Old Testament. And what is it about? It's about who God is. He said, keeping loyal love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. <clears throat> but he by no means leaves the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the father on the children, on the children's children of the third and fourth generations. And Moses quickly bowed to the ground and worshipped. It's the first time Moses has bowed to the ground and worshipped. When he saw the burning bush, he had to be told to take off a sandal. But when he sees God for who he really is, things change quickly. In fact, notice what else happens. And he said, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord go among them. No, us. And then it's, I think it's concessional. Although we are a stiff-necked people, Moses throws himself into the lot. It's the first time I would argue as well that Moses sees for who he really is. I think Moses had a little bit of a superiority complex. You know, I was raised in Pharaoh's household, and I have the opportunity to be your leader. I know he played the whole little game about Aaron coming to speak, and you're saying, oh, you're a little harsh on Moses. I don't think so. He's had some, he's had to need, he needed some lessons along the way. And when he finally sees more of who God is, he sees more of who he really is, and there's a huge chasm. He says, go among us, for we are a stiff-necked people. Pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your inheritance. What is he asking? The same thing he asked in 33. <laughs> Don't leave us. You know, uh, Moses, he already told you this. Yeah, <clears throat> but this time, Moses throws himself in the lot. And he understands more clearly what the sin has done. And he, the Lord, said, I'm going to make a covenant before all your people. And I love that he uses second person pronoun. 
I will do wonders such as not been done in all the earth nor in any nation. Whoa. In fact, the terminology here, the lexical choice, grammatical construction is the same as the song of Moses in Exodus 15, that song that was sung after the Red Sea, God who works wonders, etc., I'm sure, it, I have no doubt that it's being tied together in that he did a Red Sea event. Oh, that's nothing compared to what he's going to do for you. Isn't that amazing? Again, you want to talk about a compassionate and slow, slow to anger God. I'd be like, yeah, I'm going to take you to land, but you're kind of on your own. Nuh-uh. For whom will you see the work of the Lord for is a fearful thing that I'm doing this with you. Let's unpack this a little bit as we look at this text. This is letter C in your notes, the Lord's willingness to renew His covenant. Um, He's reissuing the covenant, the same covenant, in the same fashion. Two tablets, no one around the mountain. It's all very similar, and and that's intentional. Uh, we're, We're redoing this. And it's interesting that this whole thing begins with God making a proclamation, here it is again, by His name. God's reputation is at stake. Just as it was with the Israelites, it's true with you who follow Jesus. His reputation is at stake. Because He said, those whom He has called before the foundation, Romans 8, He's going to see you glorified. That's why I have a little bit of a problem with those who argue you can lose your salvation. You did nothing to earn it, and God's reputation is at stake that it's going to be finalized, that you're going to be glorified. If you are truly His, it doesn't, this isn't a license. To, if you're truly His, you're going to live for Him. <laughs> All right, so it's not a license to do whatever you want. Uh, that's not what I'm arguing either. <clears throat> but it, you're secure because it's, it's Him. Hamilton, in his notes, it's, it's in his commentary, it's in your notes, Everything the Lord says autobiographically in these two verses is something that God is or does for the benefit of others, especially His chosen people. Isn't that amazing? He doesn't talk about all, hey, I'm an awesome God, I can do these miracles. Uh Uh-uh, this is who I am. It's a whole different ballgame, right? This This is my reputation at stake. And again, he starts by saying the Lord of Lords, and he then identifies in this renewal of the covenant six characteristics. And I've listed them there for you. The first he mentions is compassionate. That simply means deep sympathy or weak, tenderhearted mercy, as we've seen. Uh, Graciousness, uh, you see there, and that's that's spelled out. 1 Peter 5 brings that out as well. Slow to anger, I love this. In the Hebrew, it really means long nose. (laughs) <laughs> uh, he, he's not easily offended. Uh, he, he's not quick-tempered. Second Peter 3. He's abounding in loyal love and faithfulness. This loyal love is a loaded term in Hebrew. The term is hesed. It means covenantal love. It, it's not just this ooey-gooey Valentine's-y stuff. All right? This is a love that will not waver. It's steadfast. And it has no limit, which is amazing. Um, Zephaniah 3.17 highlights that. But not only does he use the term, but you notice what he says in here? Keeping loyal love for thousands. In other words, there's no end. Uh, You know, 
um, when my kids were younger, you know, I can count to a thousand. You know, it just, it just goes on and on and on. That's what it's kind of saying here. There's no end to this. And then he says he's a forgiving God, and he lists, you notice there's three words for sin, iniquity, transgressions, and sin. Those are three different Hebrew terms. In other words, it's all-inclusive. There's nothing he doesn't cover, right? Whether it's gluttony, I don't know, murder, immorality, all of that's covered. That's exhaustive. All types, all degrees. And then finally, there's an interesting statement. This is the sixth one in there. Did you catch this? And he goes, by no means leaves the guilty unpunished. And you're going, whoa, 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 uh, wait a minute. <laughs> that doesn't seem to fit with your forgiveness. Right? In fact, if, if uh, you, you're going to judge the guilty, we're all toast here. Right? And so what's he mean here? And I highlighted this in your notes. Uh, The term could be speaking of absolute amnesty. In other words, if this is the rendering, then the text is allowing for pure indulgence, nor the is not allowing for pure indulgence, nor the absence of repentance. Nor is the text suggesting there is no consequence for sin. In other words, what God is saying is, I'm a righteous and just God. I'm gracious, I'm merciful, I'm slow to anger, I'm loving, but I'm also righteous and just. And by the way, you cannot be loving if you're not righteous and just. Right? Those of you who are parents, if I don't ever discipline my kids, how is that really loving them? You know, they're going to turn out to be monsters. (laughs) You know, spare the rod, spoil the child. I mean, you got the idea, right? There has to be discipline. Uh, even the world knows that, those of you who've done schooling, <laughs> right? There's a discipline of sorts. You're going to have a quiz on this day. You're expected to do this this day. Why? So you can hone the skills and learn. Well, the same in the area of behavior. And it just shows that for God to be truly righteous, He has to love. And that's Carson, D.A. Carson, it's a great little book. I've mentioned it before, The Difficult Doctrine of the Love of God. It's, it's worth owning. Uh, it's a small book, but it takes a long time to digest the material. But he talks about God who's a ra- God of wrath, and yet that fits with a God who loves. And the two have to go hand in hand. Uh, and that's, that's what we see here, that God is also righteous and just. And no sin will go unpunished. Deuteronomy 32 highlights that. Question on these six attributes? <clears throat> yes, Bill. Sure. Let's turn to 1 Peter 1. I want to just read a text to you. That is a great question, Bill. And the question that he asked, if you didn't catch it, was what do you do about this sin being passed on to the generation, the next generation? There are consequences for sin that carry over into the next generation. Right? Um, Was just some people we know... um, He's gambled away over a million dollars. They don't have a million dollars. 
They're both in their 60s. They're wiped out. They're filing bankruptcy. And they have children. There's no legacy. It's gone. Uh, you know, uh, and so that sin is going to carry over. But I think there's also a fact that, that sin, um, I don't know about you, but there's times when I look at my children and they say something, I go, ooh, that's me. You know, my wife or my daughter, she, <laughs> she, I know there's a couple lawyers, no offense, but she is so articulate and she can argue. I don't care if it, you're looking at it. Everyone says it's orange, she'll argue it's red just for the sake of arguing. Uh, and ooh, you know, if we can channel it, she'll be great. But she's, she's quick to respond. And the other night I said, I read to her Isaiah. I said, he said, I'm a man of unclean lips. And I said, honey, you cannot do this. You claim to know Jesus. You cannot live this way. And, and I said, and daddy struggles with that at times too. So let's, let's commit to one another. We're going to. But I see my faults in her. It's so easy, you know, or the way they say things. You're going, oh, that's me. Um, but here's some good news. First Peter 1, 18 through 19, it says, You know that, that from your empty way of life inherited from your ancestors, you were ransomed. In other words, generational sin, uh, problems that can be passed down, there is a way to stop it. It's in Christ. All right? So, the excuse, well, this is how my daddy was, and he was stubborn, so I'm stubborn. That's no excuse, <laughs> because God's grace intervenes, right, and, and can break the, that uh, issue. But <clears throat> the sin, I think what's saying in Exodus, it, unrepented and unchanged, that's going to carry over, and it will carry over. And you and I both know, we've been around long enough to know we've seen that, haven't we, in families, well... He was quick-tempered, uh, son was quick-tempered, or um, I, I know a pastor who's had a moral failure. His father had a moral failure in ministry. The, the kids are all shipwrecked, and you go, you see it. There's just this, uh, they learned it well. So I, it's a, for those of us who have children, you know, may they not turn out like me. <laughs> That's my prayer. Lord, may they turn out more like Christ, not me. Um, I've, I know, I hated to burst your bubble today, but and there it is. You thought I was perfect. Uh, anyway, no. Uh, go back to the text before I get struck by lightning. Uh, as we look at the text in chapter 34, we talked about Moses, and I really do believe Moses has grown in his relationship with the Lord. You want to talk about intimacy, Dick? Yeah, it's because he starts to see the Lord who for re he really is. And he starts to see for himself. And I love it. The Lord, by him telling them the tablets, etc., what is he doing? He's recommitting to the Israelites. And we see that going into verse uh, 10 and onwards into the text. God is slow to anger, compassionate and gracious. Well, Hophet, so what? I wasn't at Mount Sinai. I haven't built a golden calf. How does this relate to me, right? Let's, let's look at three things just to, to walk away with this morning. Number one. While spiritual experiences can be exciting, crossing the Red Sea, etc., they're not always dependable. If we want eternal spiritual transformation, then we must gain insight into the character of God. Let me challenge you. Take, take one of God's attributes this week and just dwell on that. Take a verse, uh, commit it to memory, dwell on it. Think about who, who are you, God? 
Ephesians chapter 1, I want you to see this. This is interesting. Remember, this is, this is the church of who's who, the church at Ephesus. I mean, it's the, the Moody Church in Chicago. I mean, they had it all. Pastors so-and-so and leaders so-and-so. And it's interesting, yet, despite all that, what, the, what Paul writes here in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, I pray... This is the great apostle praying for a church who's got it all together. In fact, Christ will say in Revelation to the church at Ephesus, he'll say, well done, you know your theology. But what does Paul pray? I pray that the God of our, God, of, of our Lord, Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, I love that he starts with the names of God, <clears throat> may give you spiritual wisdom and revelation in your growing knowledge of what? Him. Right? That is my prayer for you. That's what I've been praying this week, and I'm praying this next week, that you personally grow in your knowledge of the Lord. Since the eyes of your heart may have been enlightened, so that you may know what is the hope of His calling. That's the past. You understand what He's done. What is the wealth of His glorious inheritance? That's the future. And what is the incomparable greatness of His power towards us who believe? That's the present. I mean, you, you see God's hand in what He's done in the past, the present, and in the future. In other words, may you get a glimpse, a greater glimpse of God's glory. May you understand greater what it is that, that we serve a gracious God, that we serve a loving God. Right? Um, and there's so many books written on the attributes of God. You could pick those up, pick up Wayne Grudem or Charles Ryrie's theology and read this section on the attributes of God. But you don't need to do that. Just take the ones that we saw in Exodus. 34. Hang that on your beak this week. The grace of God, or the mercy of God, the long-suffering of God. And, and just reflect on that. And what does that mean? How does that affect me? And let me give you another. Ephesians chapter 3 talks about this, but it says, as followers of Jesus, we need to take comfort and rejoice in knowing that we serve a God who is slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Paul we're also writes later in Ephesians chapter 3, if you would turn there, 3.18. He says, You may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the depth, the length, the height, and depth, and thus to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Just the great lengths. Again, if you doubt it, think about those Israelites, <laughs> those stiff-necked people. Right, that deserve to be struck down in the desert, um, but God still showed mercy to them. And then last, and you know this, and you're going, I, I know this, Hafidetz, but for some of us, it's just good to hear, no sin is too great for God's forgiveness. I love that, that when he says, yeah, I'm a just God, but I'm also a forgiving God. And in fact, it's comprehensible. There's nothing that I don't cover as followers of Jesus, we do not need to be shackled by false guilt or a fear that God's forgiveness is inaccessible. I love R.C. Sproul in his book on the holiness of God. He says that he had a lady that kept coming to him saying, or came to him and said, I keep asking God to forgive me, but I just don't feel forgiven. And Sproul said, well, it's easy. You just need to ask the Lord forgiveness one more time. And she goes, what? He goes, yeah, you need to ask for forgiveness for not taking him at his word. <laughs> He's forgiven you. As far as the east is from the west. First John, right? One, uh, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive. 
And uh, I've met guys, they're beating themselves up because of a past failure. Maybe it was infidelity, marriage, or maybe it was uh, not being the parent they should have. And the list goes on. Careful. God's forgiven that. You need to move forward. All right? Uh, trust me. Moses could have talked about his past too. Murder. <laughs> Failure to trust the Lord. Anger. And he still blows it, by the way. <laughs> He'll strike that rock twice. That's later on. <laughs> That's not now. Or that wasn't before. All right? And yet, he understands a God that forgives and is gracious. David Hunt, the bottom of your notes, makes this statement. The more clearly we see the infinite chasm between God's glory and our sinful falling short thereof, the greater will be our appreciation of His grace and love in bridging the gulf to redeem us. Isn't that great? So this morning, let me encourage you. Keep pressing on. Look to the Lord. And uh, His glory, by the way, just look at Christ. Because John said we beheld His glory. Right? Only glory of the Father. And every miracle recorded in John's gospel mentions glory and belief. The two go hand in hand. And, interesting enough, as I'm thinking about this, every miracle in John's gospel also records something about Christ. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. That's neat. Speaking of studies, we're going to look at John's gospel in the fall. Based on the survey, that was the resounding uh, desire. So we're going to look at go the gospel of John in April and May, we're going to come out with some dates for you. We're going to do a five-week study. It's going to be very short. We're going to look at 2 Timothy. That was the second choice on the list. Uh, so we're going to do 2 Timothy, which will be fun, looking at Paul's last words to Timothy. And then uh, we're going to do a five-week summer uh, where we're going to bring in a colleague of mine, uh, Dr. Richard Blumenstock, and he's going to do a thing on evangelism. It's going to be a five-week series and we'll meet about every other week because uh, he's going to give us some homework to do and then we can share our blood and gut gutty stories about how we tried to share our, our faith. But he said first thing we got to do is look at what is the gospel. So I'm excited about him coming. He's done this for a lot of groups and uh, he's very articulate and so we're going to bring him in to do that. So there's some exciting things happening uh, with the men's Bible study. So thank you for your faithfulness. Questions or comments on Exodus 33 and 34? <clears throat> yes, Bill. That unfailing love or chesed, that loyal love or covenantal love, is peppered throughout the Hebrew Scriptures. If you want a great study, you'll need some time to do it. <laughs> There's been doctoral dissertations just written on that term because it's so meaty and so powerful uh, in its implications in the Hebrew Scriptures. Yeah. Well, Father, we just thank you for our chance to get together this morning. Thank you for these men. Thank you, Lord, that you indeed are a, a faithful and loving, gracious God who's slow to anger. Lord, you forgive our sin, and yet in the midst of it, you're also righteous and just, which 
brings us great comfort, to be honest, because we know that this crud in this world, you're going to deal with it. And Lord, we are so um, overwhelmed to know that we can come to your very throne room because of Christ's righteousness, which has been covering us. It's, it's been given to our account. And so when you see Hophetus, you don't see Hophetus, you see Christ, your son. And when you see these men, you see Christ, those who know you. Father, we're just so thankful. Help us to live lives that reflect the gratitude and also the understanding of your awesomeness. And we just pray, Lord, that you would help each one of us this week just to grow in our appreciation and understanding of your attributes. And may that just be even just one this week that we could focus in on. Lord, thank you. <clears throat> be with these men. Guide them. Thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.